Praise God. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, will you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3? Amen. It's good to be encouraged in the house of God, isn't it? I need encouragement. I went for my hair cutting a couple of weeks ago, and um, the woman said, you know, you're at that age when you probably should start thinking about shaving it off. And then I've come this morning and Jillian's told me that I'm her father. So I need some encouragement this morning, but there you go. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 says, uh, this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Um, we've been doing a series um, the last few times that I preached on this word established and I want to um, to conclude that um, this morning, uh, we've talked about the fact that God's will, um, God's throne is established in heaven. And we looked at how God wants, to, wants what is established in heaven to be established on earth. His kingdom be established here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Uh, we talked about the fact that, that here on Kingswood, we want to see God establish family and community. And also that God wants to establish a place of his presence, a place of his glory, a sanctuary where he can dwell. Um, this morning, I, I want to um, kind of uh, wrap things up by looking at this verse here in verse, um, verse 17. Paul says, I pray that you being rooted. Everyone say rooted. And established. Everyone say established. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul's prayer for the church is that we would be established on the love of Jesus. And we do need to pray that this morning because Paul says that the love of God is, what does he say? It's, uh, he says, I pray that you will grasp it, this love that surpasses knowledge. So it, our natural minds cannot comprehend how much God loves us. That is why we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to pray. You pray right now in your heart. Help me to get it, Jesus. Because without the Holy Spirit revealing this to us, it is impossible for us to understand and comprehend just how much me and you are loved by Almighty God. Who knows that you are loved this morning? 
Paul prays that you will be established in that love. That word established, it's um, an architectural word. So it's speaking about the foundations of a building. So Paul is saying, I pray that you would understand that your life is established, that the foundation of your life is the love of God. So the thing that will... Uh, this thing that you can build your life on, the one thing that is fixed, the one thing that is sure, the one thing that is certain is that you are loved by Abba Father, that you are loved by Jesus. You know that we've done a lot of work to this building. We've knocked out walls. We've painted things. Well, I'm saying we. I've not done anything. Um it would have been a right mess if I'd have, I'd have done it. But we've knocked out walls, we've painted things, we've put new doors in, uh, we've put new shutters in, we've done all kinds of stuff. Um, but one thing that we've not touched is the foundations. Who knows? The foundations have to stay in place. And the foundations for me and you, the one thing that should never change in our life is knowing and understanding that in every season, in every circumstance, I am loved by Almighty God. Amen. This is such a huge subject. Maybe we should do a, a you know, a series in the new year just on looking at the love of God. Because trying to kind of talk on the love of God in, you know, 25, 30 minutes is impossible. But you will know as mature Christians that the Greek word, when it speaks about the love of God, is the word agape. It's not eros, which is kind of uh, sensual love. It's not uh, philo, which is uh, kind of the love between friends. But it is agape, which we often say means unconditional love. Really, it means to cherish. It means to esteem. It means to highly prize. Who thinks that that's mind-blowing, that that is the way that God feels about you? That you are cherished by Almighty God. That, that God's greatest prize is you. That you are his joy. That you are the apple of his eye. The bridegroom in Song of Songs says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Do you know that you have stolen the heart of Jesus this morning? Do you know that he, is, he loves you so, so much that you have literally stolen his heart? He says it again in Song of Songs, your face is beautiful, your voice is sweet. You know, God loves it when we worship him. God loves it when we turn our face towards him. God loves it when we come into his presence. Do you know that just by being here this morning and just by speaking the name of Jesus, do you know that you move the heart of God? Is anyone else just overwhelmed by that thought this morning that you actually move God that you are the delight of the father that God has accepted you that God has chosen you that God has called you that God knows you do you know that you are known this morning that he knows your name he knows the he knows every detail of your life you are known, you are called, you are accepted, and you are loved by Almighty God. Come on, you can preach back to me this morning. Amen? Uh, that word agape also means, uh, it, it's kind of linked with loyalty. So it's a loyal love. 
It's a faithful love. It's a love that never, ever changes and never, ever ends. Who knows that we change? Who knows that our love for him, let's be honest this morning. I know we're in church, but can we be honest this morning? Who knows? Sometimes we're hot, sometimes we're on fire, but who knows? Sometimes we're cold and lukewarm. Who knows? Sometimes we are faithful, but sometimes we're faithless. Come on, be honest. Who knows that sometimes um, we're strong in faith, but sometimes our faith is weak. We change. But the Bible says that when we, remain, when we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. And the one thing that never, ever changes is God's love for you. When you are weak, he loves you. When you, are on, when you are cold or lukewarm, he loves you. When you are faithless, he loves you. And who knows, there are no degrees to God's love. He loves you unconditionally, full stop, and God will never ever love you any more than he does right now. And God will never ever love you any less than he does right now. God is love. It's who he is. Is. This is what it says in, in Isaiah 54. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. You know, if no one else is, is moved this morning, I'm, I'm moved this morning. God says, even if the mountains are moved, even if the hills are shaken, my love for you will remain. Come on, thank you, Jesus. That even if your world is shaken, even if everything falls apart, the one thing that will never, ever, ever change in sickness and in health, in riches or in poverty, in good times and in bad times, when the sun is shining metaphorically or whether it's dark and gloomy, his love will never, ever be removed. His love will never, ever change and nothing can shake you from the foundation that is God's love towards you. Hallelujah. Again in Isaiah, Isaiah 49 says, um, Zion said, God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Do you ever feel yourself, feel that you're in a, have you ever been there where you thought God's forgot all about me? You know, I've been praying for this breakthrough. I've been praying for this healing or, or for this salvation or this door to open. But has God forgotten me? God's abandoned me. You know, I, I, it's been a long time since I've experienced his presence. We've all been there. That's what they said. But this is what God said. God rebukes that. He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can a mother have no compassion on the child she has born? Come on, you, you mothers that are here this morning, you know the answer to that. It's no. A mother can never forget her child. and A mother can never stop having compassion upon her children. But then God says, even if she may forget, 
Because who knows, even the greatest mothers, the greatest fathers are not perfect. And some are far less than perfect in this world, tragically. But God says, even if a mother could forget, I will not forget you. I will not abandon you. And then he says this, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Hallelujah. Do you know that you have been engraved in the hands of God? Wow. And of course, prophetically, what's that pointing us to? Jesus, who literally had nails scarring his hands. And who knows, he still has nails scarring his hands. When Jesus was resurrected, he got a glorified resurrection body hallelujah he could walk through doors and all kinds of stuff but the one thing that remained the nail prints in his hands but actually when God looks at the holes he sees your name that's what it says you have been engraved in the palms of his hands so when Jesus looks at those holes he sees Shola's name he sees Tamara's name. He sees Kim's name. He sees my name. He sees your name. Engraved in the palm of his hands. Who knows that Jesus is the manifestation of the Father's love. If you want to know what the Father's love is like, you look at Jesus. We see the Father's love when Jesus touched the leper. When he ate with the prostitutes. When he stopped for Zacchaeus. When he fed the multitude when he uh, ministered to the woman with the issue of blood, when he sat at the well talking to the Samaritan woman, and when he wept at Lazarus's grave, we see in Jesus the full manifestation of Abba's love. We even see the manifestation of the Father's love when Jesus went with a whip through the temple overturning tables and driving out the money changers because who knows that his love is a jealous love and his love will go after anything that seeks to harm you or to sit or seeks to harm his church his love is a passionate mighty furious love Jesus is the good Samaritan who stops when we were beaten up by the devil, when we had fallen into the hands of the thief. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Or even though we were strangers and enemies, he comes and picks us up and pours in the oil and the wine and ministers healing to us. Jesus is the good shepherd who went after us when we had gone astray. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who showed us just how much we are loved. By dying for us on the cross. And as Jesus died on the cross. You know. I know in church sometimes we can. We can preach on all kinds of stuff. All, hopefully all good stuff. But sometimes we just have to get back. To the cross. To the blood of Jesus. And to the fact that we are loved. That God almighty. Is head over heels in love. With me and you. That we are his delight. You know, he's delighted with you this morning. You know, God doesn't just love you because, like, he's God and he has to. He actually likes you. Do you know that? 
You are the delight of his eyes. You are the love of his life. And as Jesus died on the cross, and again, I'm looking at a bunch of mainly kind of mature, solid Christians this morning, but let us never lose the wonder and the gratitude that as Jesus hung on that cross, all of our sin was placed upon him. All of the judgment and the wrath that should have been ours was placed upon Jesus. That he was punished in our place. That he was bruised for our iniquities. That the, that the punishment that brought us peace, he received that. That by his stripes we are healed. That he died in our place. That he defeated death that the curse of the law was broken and that we can walk in the fullness of God's love this morning because of Jesus hallelujah when God wrote I love you he wrote it with the blood of his son and the hymn writer um, kind of made that incredible line the wounds of sacrificial love forever shall remain who knows that the wounds of Jesus are the answer to every need every hurt every injustice his wounds are the answer his wounds are the answer to sin his wounds are the answer to poverty his wounds are the answer to addiction his wounds are the, the answer to anxiety and depression and fear and loneliness and whatever need you have this morning and whatever needs this community has or this nation has the answer is the wounds of Jesus the blood that he shed on the cross you remember, and I always come back to this passage in the Bible because I think it's, so, it's such a, a picture of the church. The disciples, after Jesus has risen from the dead, they don't realize he's risen from the dead. And it says they're in the upper room with the doors locked out of fear for the Jews. Isn't that a picture of the church many times that we just kind of gather and we're scared and we're anxious and we're worried and the devil's bad and the world's bad and everything's dark and horrible. And Jesus turns up right in the midst and he says, peace be with you. And then he says this, see my hands, see my wounds, see the side. And it says, they were overjoyed. How do you go from being fearful to joy? Seeing how loved you are by Jesus. Because perfect love casts out or drives out. I prefer that word drive. Because there's something aggressive about the love of God when it comes to fear. He will literally drive out fear. He will cast it out of you. Just one encounter with the love of God and it's impossible to live in fear. When you realize just how loved you are, fear, anxiety, worry, all those things that, that is a, the pandemic that we're in right now, all those things are driven out when we encounter the love of Jesus. And how do we encounter the love of Jesus? See my hands. 
see the wounds. See how much I love you. And you remember the story that Thomas um, wasn't there. He missed the meeting that week. And he came up, and, uh, and of course we call him Doubting Thomas. And what did he say? Um, in fact, I, I've got it written down just so I don't misquote it. Unless I see the nail marks and put my finger where the nails were. Why did he say that specifically? Why didn't he say, if I could see a miracle, or if I could hear him preach a sermon, or even if I could see his face, unless I see the nail marks, could it be that the other disciples were so transformed? And he said, what's changed, guys? You weren't like this two weeks ago when I was in church. And they said, we saw the nail marks. We saw the wounds. Well, unless I see that, I'm going to remain in my doubt. Unless I see that, I'm going to remain in my fear. Those other 11 have been so transformed. And, you know, these weren't kind of, you know, modern day men with kind of, you know, man bags and, you know, eyeliner. These are, these are tough, burly fishermen. who have been so melted by the love of Jesus that the fear and the doubt have been broken off of their lives. Hallelujah. The shed blood of Jesus puts us on God's side. Who knows, you are a friend of God this morning. Amen? Greater love has no man than this, that what? He should lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus said, you are my friends. Hallelujah. Anyone else blown away by the fact that, you, that God calls you friend this morning? You are a friend of God. He is not your enemy. He's not out to condemn you. He's not out to punish you. He's not out to find fault. He is for you and not against you. First John says this, uh, and we just mentioned this a moment ago. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Listen to this. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The reason why sometimes I, I want to be in that place where I'm living in perfect love. Where there is not one trace of doubt that God loves me unconditionally John says there will always be that doubt if you're worried that God is going to punish you every time you mess up but when you realize that Jesus has taken the punishment he's not out to punish you even when you mess up even when you fail he loves unconditionally now, of course, he disciplines those he loves, but there's a difference between discipline and punishment because discipline is always redemptive. Punishment is you messed up, slap round the head, go stand in the naughty corner until you've changed. But discipline says, you know what? I'm going to shine a light on that area of darkness in your life because I love you so much that I'm going to drive it out of you. And I'm going to help you, and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to teach you. And 
to, to be like me. In fact, you don't even have to do it. I'm going to give you my spirit to do it for you. All you've got to do is receive him and walk with him. God is so good, isn't he? So um, conviction will lead you to change, but condemnation will trap you in a prison of shame. Discipline will drive you to experience more of him where punishment will just abandon you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't put you in a prison of shame. He disciplines and corrects and convicts in order to you to be brought by him, closer to him. Or let me put it like this. I messed up. I'm going to hide from my father. Versus I messed up. I'm going to run to my father. So I'm not running to someone with a stick ready to clobber me. I'm running to someone who's got a clean robe and sandals and a ring and who just wants me to be home and just wants me to be in relationship with him. Amen? We can either live our lives um, in the house of law or in the house of love. Law, everything is earned, but love understands that all is gift and all is grace. Law says, if I can keep all the rules and live a holy, perfect, obedient life, then maybe God will love me more than he does right now. Love says, I understand he will never ever love me any more than he does right now. So my response to that is I'm going to love him back. I'm going to live in holiness. I'm going to live in obedience. Not to earn his pleasure because I've already got his pleasure. Not to earn his favor because I'm already favored. Not to earn his blessing because I am already blessed with every spiritual blessing. There is not a blessing that he hasn't given you that you've already got. He's given you it all, every blessing. So when I understand I don't live by law, I live in the house of love. I don't pray to get close to God. I pray because I am close to God. We don't worship to get God in the room. We worship because he is in the room. It's all love. It's all gift. It's all grace. Hallelujah. Think of the two disciples, or two of the, probably the most prominent of the twelve, Peter and John. Peter said, Jesus, I love you so much, I'll lay down my life for you. Peter boasted in how much he loved Jesus. But John, and in fact, um, Gillian quoted it this morning. John, who knows, John never calls himself John in his gospel. What does he call himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter boasted in his love for Jesus. John boasted in Jesus' love for him. Who knows, if your Christianity is established on your love for Jesus, it's a very dodgy foundation. But if your identity is established on, I am loved by him. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. That will never, ever, ever change. Hallelujah. It's not about, not about primarily how much you love him. 
It's primarily about how much he loves you. Hallelujah. As um, Newton said, um, John Newton, right? Amazing grace guy. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. Hallelujah. The fruit of law is misery. Always striving, always working, always trying to be better and do more and work harder and always falling short. But the fruit of love is joy and freedom. Oh, imagine the joy and the freedom that comes from knowing I don't have to prove anything. I am loved. I am loved. Full stop. Hallelujah. Um, Julian of Norwich said, the greatest honor we can give God Almighty is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. The greatest honor we can give God Almighty is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. Love understands that all is gift, all is grace. That everything I have, you know, sometimes we, we trace what we have back to I prayed, or I fasted, or I obeyed the voice of God. But actually, it goes back further than that, to you were loved. Everything I have, I could say, you know what, everything I've got is because, you know, I love God, and I pray, and I, I read the word, and I'm obedient, and all that. No, everything I have is because he loves me. I can't take credit for one single thing. And neither can you. All is grace. All is love. Amen? Amen? So who knows? Nothing you've got is because you earned it. It's because he loves you. Amen? Amen. So in the same way, everything you're going to get is because of his love. Oh, if only I had more faith. If only I was better. If only I prayed more. If only I read the Bible more. How about if you just understood a bit more how loved you are? Amen? This is why this is so important. I'm going to try and wrap this up in the next few minutes. But um, again, going back to Paul, I pray that you've been rooted and established in love. May our power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. And he says this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You can only be as big spiritually as your understanding of God's love is. Get that. Who wants to grow in God? Yeah? And, and you know, we have to, you know, we'll do courses at church, won't we, about how to grow in God, how to grow in faith. And we always do it on a, on a works basis. Oh, pray more, read your Bible more, hear the tithers envelope, the church bank details. How, Paul says, the more, the bigger your comprehension of God's love, the more God will fill your life. You don't get more of God by working harder. You get more of God by understanding how loved you are. And it's possible to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ, which is a lot, right? So our, our understand, if you think you get God's love, you don't, unless you literally are, Jesus we, we need to pray daily God let me understand just how much you love me help me to trust you more 
And then, of course, he goes on to say, now to him who is immeasurably more, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So it's linked with our prayer life. You know that you receive from God the measure of how much you understand that he loves you. This is why this is so important this morning because I don't know about you, I want to see God do some stuff, right? I want to be more like him. And it starts, Paul says, with understanding just how much we're loved. Let me... Let me um, just touch on this for a moment, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go back into worship in a moment. Rooted and established. Everyone say rooted. Let me just touch on this just on a moment, for a moment. So established is an, um, uh, an archi- um, architectural term, like the foundations of a building. Rooted um, is horticultural, so it speaks of plants. So... Just get this for a moment. See the difference because the Bible doesn't waste words, right? Paul didn't just say two things that mean the same thing. The foundations never change, right? But who knows? Roots do change. They go deeper. So the established bit is speaking of theology. The theology of God's love never ever changes. But the rooted bit is speaking of our experience. And that should change. It should be constantly going deeper, constantly going wider, constantly digging more into the love of God. Who knows, it's not enough just to know the theology that God loves us. Paul wants us to actually understand it and actually get our roots down deep into an experience of being loved by God. Jesus said in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, I won't comment on that or we'll be here another day, won't we? I mean, how can you, I mean, you could preach all year on that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just think, meditate on that all week. Then he says, abide in my love. Remain in my love live in, experience my love. So we have to continually meditate on the love of God, continually dig into the word and understand how much God loves us, spend time in his presence because his love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This has been a scripture that, uh, that has been with me all, all week. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Just this picture of almost just a little toddler. And the, the psalmist saying, I've stopped trying to understand everything. I'm just like a little toddler in that place where I can't dress myself, I can't walk. I'm just safe in the arms of Almighty God. This week we've got to lean into his love. We've got to trust him. We've got to walk with him and just enjoy and meditate and live in that place of love. Amen. Now, I know that some might say, well, you're only preaching half the gospel because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
Who knows that Jesus loves them? Who always keeps all the commands? So I used to read that verse and think, well, I mustn't love him properly then. Mustn't love him enough. What if that wasn't a threat? What if that was a promise? If you love me, your love for me will enable you to keep the commands. Can't do it in your own strength. But in my love, I'll help you live how I want you to live. And how do we love him? By understanding that he first loves us. I want to close with this. John, go back to what I mentioned earlier. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Did John, did Jesus love John more than any of the other disciples? No. Why was John the only one who said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved? Because he was the one who got it. Come on, I got the youth to say this on Friday. So come on, say it. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Say it again. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. One more time. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Say that to yourself before you leave the house every morning this week and before you go to bed at night. Remind yourself of who you are. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Now, six times in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. So my question was, at what point in John's life did he get it? Uh, what, what happened when he went from I'm John to I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves? So I look, those six statements, and if, if the worship team can just get ready to come. Those six statements, what was the f when did he say it for the first time? Anyone want to guess? Or anyone know? It was at the Lord's Supper, communion. When they were all gathered around the table, and it says, remember John's writing this, the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his head back against his chest. That was the first time, and from then on, he only ever refers to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Something happened at the table that transformed how he saw himself. Something happened when he leaned back and rested in the arms of Jesus. He realized, I'm loved. And all the other disciples who were sat around the table, they went away. I'm Peter. I'm Andrew. I'm Thomas. I'm Matthew. But John, the one who leaned into his arms, the one who leaned against it and felt his heartbeat, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. 
This morning we have a choice, don't we? We can either just sing a song, which we're going to do now, and have communion, and Richard and Linda are going to lead us in a moment, and go home and think, oh, that was good. Or we can actually lean in to the person of Jesus. Cast all our cares on him. Say, Jesus, wrap me in your arms. Embrace me. Let me feel your heartbeat. Let me experience your presence. And hold me so tightly and so closely that my entire identity changes. And I realize just how loved I am by you. Wow. Come on, why don't we stand this morning?